Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. And welcome to all of you. Open your Bibles, please, first of all, to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, then we will uh, be looking at two other passages of Scripture. You are welcome to follow in your Bible or watch the screen, whichever you choose to do. But we'll begin reading in Matthew chapter 5 in just a moment. So today we continue our series in uh, what in the world is happening here. And here is not uh, this building or our church, but here is our culture. What in the world is happening here? We began the series weeks ago by laying a foundation, and the foundation simply is this. Jesus and the gospel are offensive. Jesus and the gospel are offensive to many, many people in our culture. And the gospel and Jesus are offensive for three reasons. First of all, the Bible says in the very first verse in Genesis, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, as creator, God has the right to tell me what to do. God has the right to direct our lives, and that is offensive to many people. In the beginning, God. There's a second reason why Jesus and the gospel are offensive, and that is because the Bible says man is a sinner. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Now, most people will be willing to admit that they have made some mistakes. And that's usually the term they will use. I've made some mistakes along the way. But when you say to someone, your basic nature is a sin nature and you need a savior because you cannot save yourself, that is offensive to many people in our culture. And then the third reason that Jesus and the gospel are offensive is that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And many in our culture find that to be very offensive. They might grudgingly say, well, if if Jesus is the way you choose, then that's fine with me, but please don't tell me he's the only way because he isn't. But Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if those words aren't true, then Jesus isn't who he said he was, and why are we here? So there are three reasons why Jesus and the gospel are offensive, and that laid the foundation for this entire series. So as we've journeyed along, we've talked about the disappearance of the innocence, that is, abortion, We've talked about right religion in our culture to the least of these. We have talked about modern-day slavery, human trafficking. We've talked about purity versus sexual immorality in, in all of its forms. We've talked about celebrating marriage, one man, one woman, freely united together for life. We've talked about the tragedy of transgenderism. And we've talked about racism, its destructive reality. We've talked about last week those who reside among us, immigration, legal and illegal. So this morning, uh, we are going to 
uh, talk about religious liberty. Next week, we're going to finish this series. I don't know if you're going to be glad, but I'm going to be glad. This has been a challenging, challenging series. Now, one of the things that's been challenging about it is I do my study each each week and long term. Um, there's an overwhelming amount of data and information on every subject that we've talked about. So it hasn't been a matter of I can't find anything to say. It's been a matter of I need to cull it all down. And, and so it's been challenging, but we're going to finish it. Next week we're going to talk about how to finish the task that God has given us in our culture, how to finish the task that God has given us. So today we're talking about religious liberty. Stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, very familiar passage of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I'm going to read Galatians 5, 13 and 14. And you can follow it on the screen or turn real fast if you were always good at Bible drill. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then John chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus said, read the scripture says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. And that light shines in darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. You may be seated. Now one of the things you've noted in this series. Is I, I bring a notebook to the pulpit. Which I, I never in all of my ministry done. But I have to stay on track. And I'm prone to chase rabbits. But I'll be glad to lose this notebook in about two weeks. Now uh, th- th- this this series, I hope, has been encouraging to you because we've talked about issues that you are dealing with in the culture right where you live, the people with whom you associate at work or at school or in the neighborhood or, or family members, whatever it may be. So in today's message on religious liberty, I want to give express appreciation to uh, several uh, organizations. One is the Voice of the Martyrs. Another is Open Doors. Another is 21 Wilberforce. Another is the Ethics and Religious Life, a Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And another is the Pew Research Center. And tomorrow I'm going to post online those organizations with their websites and how you can get to them. So more on that in a few minutes. So first of all, this morning, I want us to do this. Religious liberty defined. Let, let's define what it is. Religious liberty can be said to be a free people in a free state. And when I use the word state, I'm not talking about Texas or Louisiana. I'm talking about the nation 
where you live. Free people in a free state. And that means you have the freedom to worship God according to the dictates of your heart. And that includes the freedom to choose not to worship and not to believe in God. So that puts us in a position of supporting the right of someone to say there is no God. But at the same time, our expectation is that the same atheist or agnostic will respect our right to believe in God and to worship him and to exert moral influence in our culture. That's very important. Now, that includes in a free free state the privilege of talking about our God in public as long as there is no coercion on our part. For you understand when we talk to others about Scripture, we talk to others about God, we talk to others about Jesus, we are using our voices and our lives, but then it's the Holy Spirit who does the work of coercion, shall we say, in the hearts of other people. Now, Baptists are one of the few, if not the only, major Christian denomination who have anywhere and everywhere rejected the idea and the reality of a state church. But along with that, we believe in the rights guaranteed by the Constitution to worship as we choose to speak or to choose not to worship, but for all of that expectation to be able to worship and speak of the gospel and at the same time not be harassed by government because of our beliefs. Dr. Matthew Spaulding wrote an article entitled The Meaning of Religious Liberty. And in it, he said these words, America does not depend on a shared theology, but it does depend on a shared morality. In his first inaugural address, our first president said that there exists in the economy and course of nature an indissoluble union between virtue and happiness, and no nation can prosper that chooses to disregard the external rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. Thomas Jefferson, though a deist, put it more succinctly. He said, the people who are the source of all lawful authority are inherently independent of all but the moral law. Ponder this for a moment as you think about the freedom that we enjoy in America. Today, 80% of the world's population live in a country where there is some form of discrimination or persecution for their beliefs at a high or a very high level. 80% of the people in the world, according to 21 Wilberforce. I'm grateful for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. I'm very thankful. And it's up to us to preserve that freedom. Luke Goodridge recently wrote a book entitled Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. And in it he wrote, Religious liberty is first and foremost a God-given right 
grounded in a biblical conception of justice, not a gift from the state. It is a right that God provides to all of his image bearers, not just those who already follow him. So as we think about religious liberty, I want us to think about the current status. And let's think for a moment about the current status in our own nation, and then we'll think about it for a few moments internationally. In the United States of America, we are a rapidly changing country in many, many ways. Many of those ways, I, as a committed Christian, would say change is good. But I would also say in many ways change is bad. According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 that we read earlier, we as Christ's followers are to be salt and light. Salt is a preservative. We as believers are to help preserve the moral standards worthy of Christ's followers. Salt adds flavor and zest to everything it touches, which is the case in our culture, that we are to add zest and life to those with whom we come in contact. Salt has forever been treasured as a medium of exchange, even has been used to pay salaries instead of money. People have been paid with salt. The way That's the way salt has been treasured throughout human history. Salt has healing properties. Salt is necessary for our good health. And salt is necessary for the good health of our culture. The distinctiveness of America lies in our foundation, which is based on Scripture and human rights that flow from God's Word. Now, the current status is changing, isn't it? We can look at it one of two ways. We can wring our hands and say, woe is me, and I've, I've done that a few times. Or we can look at it and say, God, you are presenting to us unprecedented opportunities, and I think that is the way we have to look at it. We have to see before us in a day of moral change that God is opening doors of unprecedented opportunity for those of us who know Jesus and for the church itself. Christianity, according to the Pew Research Center, is declining rapidly in the United States of America. Now, another way to look at that is to say, with a little pressure being applied in our culture, it may be that we are just now finding out who the real believers are. I've said all my life or all my adult ministry that when the day comes that Christianity is is in disfavor socially and economically in our nation, we would see an unprecedented thinning of the ranks. You won't be worried about filling up a room anymore. You'll just be hoping somebody comes. It'll be a thinning of the ranks. Now, I'm sure that doesn't apply to you, but it applies to some that you know. Is there persecution coming? Uh, I think without question. 
we are beginning to see the first steps in that, and I think there is much more to come. Pew Research Center, in, in one of the questions that they ask in their extensive studies, and they've asked this question every year since 2007, do you identify as a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, or whatever, none, atheist, agnostic? In 2007, 78% of Americans identified as Christian. Now, there are a lot of flavors in that, but people said, yes, I identify as a Christian. That number this year is now down to 65%. That's a precipitous drop of 13% in 12 years. The religiously unaffiliated has risen from 16% in 2007 to 26 percent they're often called the nuns not like a catholic nun but n-o-n-e nuns like none i don't have any I, i'm nothing i'm i don't even think about it i'm just a nothing in in regard to religion i'm a nun protestants in america have declined from 51 percent to 43 percent catholics have declined from 24 percent to 20 percent atheists have risen from 2% to 4%. Agnostics have risen from 2% to 5%, but it is the 26% of nuns that is astonishing and should be of concern to us. Ask the question, do you attend religious services at least once a month? The number has changed from 54% to 45%. And of those who do not attend religious services at all or perhaps just a few times a year has risen from 45% to 54%. And you knew that because you've got a lot of neighbors who didn't get up and go to church this morning. Now, there are tons of statistics. I, I, don't, I don't intend to share any more. I think that's enough. But we do see a society that has grown very aggressive and is growing more and more aggressive in every area. You watch TV news, you know what I'm talking about. To call our society impolite would be an understatement. In the public arena, and you know this from our previous messages in this series, in the public arena, you will be pounded I hope not physically, but you'll be pounded verbally and maybe physically if you are pro-life, if you defend biblical morality, if you defend biblical marriage, if you defend what the Scripture says about homosexuality or gay marriage or transgenderism or other things that we've dealt with in this series. And some who call themselves Christians are volatile and add to all our societal ills by their rhetoric. So we've got a lot going back and forth. Now, recently a politician, who I'll leave unnamed, talked about taking away the tax-exempt status of churches that do not approve of gay marriage. And I was astonished to hear him say that, but I was more astonished at the reaction of the audience to which he spoke as they shouted with glee and applauded what he had said and received nods from most of the mainline media. Now, of course, that person is no longer running for president. However, what he said 
should be of grave concern to all of us. Now, I began by this series by asking if we have a spiritual spine or will we wilt at the first sign of opposition? Is everything falling apart or is everything falling into place for the return of Jesus? I believe the latter. Now, let's talk about internationally, and then we'll end up with what can you and I do? Because my purpose in preaching this series is not to give you facts or to concern you or to alarm you if there's some things you didn't know, but it's what can we do as individual believers and as a church. So let's talk about internationally. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering terribly around the world. We have faced nothing in comparison to what they are facing. Jews are being persecuted again. It is frightening because it is a reminder of what occurred before World War II and then reached its full bloom during World War II. At the end of World War II, much of the civilized world said never again. But that is no longer true. Jews are being persecuted and Christians are being persecuted around the world. Now, though Muslim persecution of Christianity is rampant around the world, Muslims themselves are suffering persecution in some places like India, as are Christians. According to Open Doors, the top ten offending countries against Christianity at this point in time, in order, are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and India. Open Doors publishes once a year a watch list, and I don't usually copy it because it kills several trees, but I did today so you could see it. And I'll put it online tomorrow how you can read it if you'd like to do that. And in here they list the top 50 countries in the persecution of Christians. And it changes from year to year, but they list the top 50 countries, including the 10 that I named just a moment ago. There is a wealth of information here that I think you would be blessed to read. But let me just tell you what they said about number 10, India, because we have a vested interest there, do we not? That's, that's all I'll say about that. Now, here is what they wrote about India in part. Christians have been targeted by Hindu nationalist extremists more and more every year. Since the current ruling party took power in 2014, attacks have increased and Hindu radicals believe they can attack Christians with no consequences. The view of the nationalists is that to be Indian is to be Hindu, so any other faith, including Christianity, is viewed as non-Indian. Additionally, in some regions of the country, converts to Christianity from Hinduism experience extreme persecution, discrimination, and violence. They gave you three prayer points for India. Pray for Christian converts from Hinduism who are forcefully pressured to return to their national religion. 
pray with Christians in India for God's provision and protection as they preach the gospel in places with anti-conversion laws. One one of our journeys there, part of our team was sharing the gospel in a village. And as someone listened to them, they began to shout at them, religion changers, religion changers, religion changers. And the crowd began to shout, religion changers, religion changers. And no harm came to them, but they had to back out and leave and leave the town. So it's, it's very real. Pray for the government of India that they would be open to religious liberty. The current government is not at all. Fascinating. I hope that once I publish that online that you will take advantage of looking at it. What are the trends that we see in the world? Open windows have said here are five trends. If these interest you, here are five trends. There is the shocking reality of persecution against women. Women are being persecuted around the world because they're women and Christian women are being doubly persecuted primarily in Islamic nations. Number two, Islamic oppression continues to impact millions of Christians around the world. It's growing trend. Number three, the world's two most highly populated countries rose on the world watch list that I shared with you a moment ago. India to number 10, China rose from number 43 to number 27. Each of these nations are home to more than a billion people. And so the trends are distressing to all of us. We know we're familiar with India and we're familiar with China because we are, we are there as, as a church more than once every year. And under the current government, Xi Jinping, um, worship is becoming more and more and more difficult in many places in China. Number four trend, the spread of radical Islam across sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, groups like Boko Haram, that if you pay attention, that fundamentalist Islamic group that preys upon children, and, and I'll share one incident with you in a moment. And then number five, more laws are being added in many countries in an effort to control religion. Many countries are making laws in order to do that. In this last year, the persecution of Christians around the world has risen 14% in one year, 14% in one year, from 215 million to 245 million. During the, this past year, 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith that we can identify. There are probably more, but that we can identify. That's an average of 11 Christians being killed every day for their faith in Christ. Does that surprise you? You're not going to hear it on the news media. They're uninterested. Not interested at all. Eleven Christians a day being killed for their faith in Christ. 1,266 churches were either partially or totally destroyed last year. And 2,625 Christians were arrested detained without trial, sentenced, and imprisoned. That we can identify, you can be sure that there are more than that. Let me share with you a letter from a Christian in Pakistan. And this is a mild, a very mild thing in comparison to what goes on. 
Not too long ago, I went for a walk around the corner from our church. It was cold and I was hungry. I wanted some lentils and rice. A man sold it next to the road from his food cart. I went to the cart and asked for a plate. While I was searching for the money in my wallet, the man who owned the cart recognized me. Are you one of those who go to that church? He asked. I was so pleased he recognized me as a member of the church. The pleasure was short-lived. When I said yes, he slammed the plate down and told me to go and get a plastic bag. I cannot let you eat off my plate, he said. Others have to eat on this. I cannot let you defile my plates. My heart was so broken, I left the food and walked home crying. I felt sad and somewhat silly. As Pakistani Christians, we all know that know where we belong in this society. And yet at the age of 26, it still hurt me so much. I felt homeless even though my home was around the corner. I felt like a nobody even though my parents and friends are all around me. I felt rejected even though I know Christ died for me. But this is where I heal. When I am able to show my love for others and demonstrate Jesus through the pain. Please pray that we will continue to reach out to the rejected, the dispossessed, and the lonely. This is the story of people who are called Christians in Pakistan. I am their story. They are my story. Thanks to your prayers and support, you are part of our story. There are many more stories, including what happened five years ago when Boko Haram in Nigeria attacked a Christian school and, uh, as you will recall, kidnapped 276 girls. What happened to those girls next is unspeakable. And I won't shock you any more than just the very thought of it. Two years after the kidnapping, Boko Haram put a video out with one of the girls named Dorcas. And she was crying and weeping and pleading with her family and with the government of Nigeria to please do something to please bargain with Boko Haram so that we can be set free. One year later, another video was put out of this young lady. This time, Dorcas was holding an AK-47 rifle. Her face was much different than it had been before. And she said, I will never return to my family or my town because my family are unbelievers and the town in which I live The people are unbelievers and they do not follow Allah and I will never come home. Brainwashing? Forced to say that? Or did she really believe what she was saying? We don't know. But what we do know is that over 4,000 girls primarily, but also some boys and adult women have been abducted by Boko Haram in the last 10 years. And they have been through unspeakable Unspeakable torture. Well, with all that in mind, what are we to do? So here, church, is what we, we've got to do. Number one, pray. That's above all in everything. We must pray. We must pray for ourselves to be salt and light. We must pray for ourselves to have courage in the face of opposition. Not praying that there would be no opposition but praying for courage in the face of opposition, just as the apostles did not pray 
for a cessation of persecution, but instead thanked God for the privilege of being persecuted in the name of Jesus. We must pray for the sharing of the gospel in our culture and around the world. We must pray for our leaders, for them to have wisdom, and we must pray for the persecuted church around the world. It is real, and they are your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. Pray, pray, pray. Add it to your prayer list that you likely already have. Secondly, be informed. Tomorrow, sometime during the day, I will post on Realm some of the ways that you can be informed so you can anticipate that to come tomorrow. Thirdly, support missions here in the United States and around the world. Pray, give, go, rejoice, celebrate. And next Sunday night, we will celebrate with our final mission report of the year We have five teams that have yet to report, and they'll be reporting next Sunday night, 5.30, right here in this room. I hope that we'll have a lot more people than normally come on Sunday night. We ought to rejoice and celebrate and, and say to those who've gone out to be on the front lines, we appreciate you, we want to hear what you have to say. That's next Sunday night. Then participate in the political process Because we can. In most nations, Christians cannot. But we can. Participate in the political process. We still have that option. Vote. Write. Email. Call your leaders in support of religious liberty here and around the world. They will listen if there is enough in the way of calling, letter writing, emailing, they will listen, participate. And finally, having prayed to be salt and light, be salt and light. Be salt and light in this world. I close by rereading one of the great passages on freedom in Christ from Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Isn't that amazing? We've been set free by Jesus. We're called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where it starts. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's bow together for prayer. There are some in this room who need Jesus. And I can't look out and know who you are. But you sense the tugging of the Holy Spirit at your heart. And so in a moment when we stand and Brother Gary leads us in our song of invitation, I invite you to come and place your hand in mine and to say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And remember our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's word, share with you how you can come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord today. For those of us who have already made that decision, on the basis of what you've heard this morning and and the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, what can you do? Let me assure you the answer to that question is not nothing. There is something you can do. So ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to do? And he will answer that prayer.
Now, Father, I pray that all of us will do what we can do for religious liberty here and around the world. And I pray that you will draw someone to yourself that they might come to know Jesus this morning. In the Savior's name I pray, amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand. Are you in need of daily encouragement or want to learn more about First Baptist Belton? Visit our website at www.fbcbelton.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Follow and like today. Thanks for listening to today's message.